You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. So what do you think about? Where, where does your mind go when you have nothing to think about? Uh, what's, your, what's your attitude usually like? What, what would someone close to you say your attitude's normally like? Uh, why do you get out of bed in the morning? What, what gets you going? What's your motivation, your purpose? Um, our culture and the world around us try to answer these questions, right? Uh, a lot of times it comes in the form of self-help books. Uh, that you can be more successful if you just do this and this. Uh, you can make more money and uh, make a name for yourself. Uh, one motivational self-help book that I've come across is by a, name, by a guy named Earl Nightingale. It's entitled uh, The Strangest Secret. Has anyone ever heard of this? No? It's an old 50s one, so I'm probably... Uh, so it's uh, basically, to, to spare you reading and listening to it all, it, the whole point is he says the secret to life is that you become what you think about. Now, now hear that. You become what you think about. Do you see his emphasis? And, and look at those pronouns there too, right? The whole point is that it all starts with yourself. It starts about what you think, what's in your mind, what you define as success. And that's really the same message that we hear in the world around us today, is it not? It says, you know, you hear things like, uh, you deserve it. You're not that bad. You need to look out for number one. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Grab the bull by the horns, right? What you think about is very important, as we'll see here. But what's even more important is that the Bible has a totally opposite message. A message that says that where it starts is more important and what a successful mindset should be. So today we're going to look at the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. He's writing to Christians who have been transformed by the gospel, the good news, and he's sharing them with them what it looks like to live a life in, in reflection uh, because of the gospel. And he's sharing them with them even more good news. He's sharing with them more of the gospel. He's writing to these early Christians who are going through a lot of persecutions for their faith, who are going through a really hard time just like he is going through. And actually, Paul's writing this from a Roman prison cell. Who's, he's very well acquainted with, with persecution. Uh, at the time of this letter, too, he's, he's sharing that. Remember, at the beginning of this letter, if you haven't read it, he's sharing with how grateful he is for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, he's trying to encourage them and equip them in Christ. And at the beginning of this, uh, he also prays for them. He told them how they can still have joy and be content regardless of their circumstances. Now, these are timely words that aren't just meant for the church then, but for the church today. And this particular section in Philippians is really important because it shows us what true humility is, what, what that mindset of true humility is, what Jesus, what his mindset was, what did he think about, what his, was his attitude and his motivation. And then it also tells us about what will true humility, what will this mindset lead to? So first, so, so three questions we're going to look at. What is true humility? Who is Jesus? And what does true humility lead to? All right, so first, what is this mindset or attitude of true humility? How does, how does Paul define it here? Um, Paul's main message throughout this whole passage is that Christians are to always have a truly humble mindset. He set the standard for Christian living infinitely high. Even Augustine said, if you ask me, what is the first precept of Christian religion? I will answer first, second, and third, humility. 
now let's look at this first uh, first couple words. So if, right? Uh, so if uh, these can be translated, and these are important for two different reasons. First, it kind of translated like a therefore. So what's it there for? It's it's pointing back to chapter one, verse twenty-seven, where Paul wrote, uh, "Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." Paul explained that a Christian's conduct needs to match what they believe. Secondly, it's important because this therefore, this so if, can also be translated like since, because. So before Paul jumps to giving commandments to the Philippians, he first starts by graciously lavishing them with generous grace. He tells them, uh, is there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if, if there is any comfort from this love, he's kind of rhetorically asking them, is there, if there, since there is, yes, there is encouragement in Christ. Yes, there is comfort from his love. Yes, there is affection and sympathy. Paul exemplifies what true humility is by generously showing them at first before giving them the commands. And this is really like the last series we just went through, right, uh, on the commandments. Uh, before God gives the commandments uh, in Exodus 20, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God, right? I rescued you. I, basically, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He graciously rescued the Israelites and reminded of them that first before he gave the commandments. Now, how well are we doing in that area? Right. I know for my life, I was greatly convicted of this this past week with our own kids. Uh, just last night, our daughter was running through the house with a fork in her hands. And we said, hey, please don't do that. It's dangerous. Right. And what does she do? She runs into a wall. What do I say? I told you so. Right. Like. And look at me. And then I ask, are you okay? Right? It should be completely the reverse. Right? I'm too quick to give the command first without showing her grace. True humility is generously gracious first. Now next, the second point is that true humility is authentically honest. Look at this. Uh, Paul says, complete my joy. Paul's not afraid to share his heart with others. He asks them that if these things are true, then complete it, complete my joy. And you might think, okay, this kind of seems selfish. Look at his pronoun there, my joy. But Paul knows what his, uh, what the people he's writing to, the Philippian church, is in their best interest. And what's ultimately going to bring them joy is going to bring him joy too. So he's thinking about them. And, and what was... Uh, Interesting, like for us too, right? Many times it's not just about sharing our happy feelings and, and doing true humility, but it's sharing our hurts and our pains, our sorrows, right? It's raw and authentic and it takes a lot of vulnerability. And we, when you look at Jesus too, right? He's the happiest person in the world, yet at the same time, he's named as a man of sorrows, right? These happiness and joy or sorrow are not incompatible with one another. And honestly expressing them and telling others about those are, shows true humility and reflects living the gospel out. All right, next point. Uh, Paul goes on to explain what Christians are to be for, what their purpose is. True humility is purposely loving. Um, he says they're to be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Um, Rick Warren's uh, Purpose Driven Life book makes this point really clearly. He writes, uh, it'll be up here on the screen, uh, regarding the purpose of life, he writes, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you're placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. This is, this is true humility. This is what true humility looks like. Um, you know, uh, the purpose of the church is to glorify God with the same mindset and the same love. And now how, how important it is to you then when we look at ourselves to be an active member of a local body, people with this same purpose and this same mentality. 
how well are you loving? How, how well are we loving messy people like myself, messy sinful people like myself? Paul said that this is where those who have been changed by the gospel express the gospel with the same purpose and humble love. Finally, now comes the commands uh, and the closest definition to true humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here again, there are no limits to true humility. This is a, a really high bar if, if we haven't gotten this yet, right? If that hasn't been made clear yet, look at how Paul emphasized this with two sets of negative and positive commands, and he ties them together with being in humility. It's also good to note that Paul does not condemn selfish, or sorry, Paul does not condemn ambition, right? Nor does he say you should never eat, drink, or take care of yourself. Or he said, look not only to your own interests. However, what he does condemn is selfish ambition, a type of ambition that's motivated and focused on oneself and is divisive, prideful, and even promotes oneself over God and others. Another way to summarize this is vainglory or empty and unsuccessful glory. That's the same mindset, right, of those self-help books and of our culture. But then on a positive side, right, true humility counts. This word in the Greek is a go. It means to calculate uh, others more important and significant than, when, than ourselves. Steve Lawson says, Christians must add up the needs of others. At the same time, subtract, subtracting their personal interests. They must arrive at a bottom line summary of what would most benefit others and then act on a result of that calculation. This begs the question, then, how do we apply this, this calculation regarding others' needs and our personal interests? Is this like a 50-50 percentage or 75-25 uh, cents? Can we go for runs or go golfing or watch TV, maybe enjoy a movie in a nice theater, right? Uh, first, it's important to distinguish because between the wrong kind of divisive selfishness that was already mentioned and the right kind of self-interest that the Bible encourages. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Later in the same book, even Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. God is sovereignly in charge. And that is compatible with our human responsibility to obey him, to obey his commands. Not doing so is sin. Wayne Grudem writes, uh, to define the essential character of sin as selfishness will lead many people to think that they should abandon all desire for their own personal benefit, which is contrary to scripture. God cares about his people and their heart's motivation for why they do what they do. So it is possible. Is it possible to go for a run while putting others' interests above your own? Is it possible to go golfing, to enjoy a movie without sinning? Yes, it is possible. But the main point here, again, is that we're to calculate what would be best for others over your own interests, and then to do that. Christians are called to live holy and blameless lives, and there's freedom in this, and Christ in this, to go about doing this. A few weeks ago, we had uh, Survey2Y, which for those who might not be familiar with it, it's uh, our annual community outreach event where we basically just offer our services. How can we help, uh, whether it's municipalities or parks or local businesses, how can we serve them? And one of the community partners we were serving with, we were actually pulling weeds, which was a lot of what we do, uh, a lot of uh, hand hurting uh, type of uh, laborious work. But uh, uh, we were pulling weeds with this one uh, partner and, and she shared, she shared that, you know what, uh, it's so great to serve others because you always get something in return. And now, while that might be true, right, uh, true humility is so selflessly others interested that it doesn't matter what's in it for them. 
Christians are are to be mo- not to be motivated by what they get, but what they've been given. And what they've been given is mercy and grace. Mercy that we don't get what we deserve and grace that we're given what we don't deserve. The Apostle Paul also wrote that Christians are to not think of themselves more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. The opposite of this kind of thinking is pride. John Piper says, humility for us at its heart is to feel and say and act in a way that says, I am not I am not God. True humility is an attitude of life fixated on God and others' best interests, not their own glory. This is really a reflection of the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You may be thinking now, okay, I'm doing pretty well at this mindset. I've got this uh, under control. Or this sounds really nice, but totally unattainable. Or maybe you're thinking, whoa, I've got a long way to go here. So, um, to address these first, the moment we start to think, okay, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, I'm, I'm pretty humble, is when we, we're starting to look at our own interests, right? We're starting to, and then we're becoming not humble. Uh, we're starting to have that same mindset as Earl Nightingale rather than the mindset of God. But true humility is something we all need more and more of. And even though this sounds too good to be true, the good news of the gospel is this truly humble mindset is possible to have. So if that is true, how do we get it? How do we grow in it? Do we just keep on trying harder and harder at it and trying to earn our way to God's favor? No, uh, that's not how do we initially uh, get it. The gospel is not a works-based religion or even based on our own positive thinking, but it's based on grace. Jesus said what is impossible with man is possible with God. The next few verses, uh, well, so then who is this Jesus, right? If just as what Jesus says, who is he? What do you think about? The next few verses here will provide the clearest insight into who he is and how his mindset is all the motivation we need to be truly humble people. So let's go back to the word. So verse five, have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So a reminder, this is under the context of gospel-centered living, right? Paul lists up Jesus as the ultimate example, the perfect and ultimate example as the one who had an attitude of true humility. And it's an incredible privilege for us here that we God gives us insight into how Jesus thinks of himself and what his mindset is. Um, it's important to note, too, that before we jump to the next few verses, that these verses 6 through 11 uh, are, are greatly contested as to what form or nature they originated from. Some people say they're like a, a, a hymn or a poem, or maybe they're some words that Paul, Paul borrowed. Um, regardless, uh, what's important to note here is that what this points to is that... Um, who Jesus is wasn't developed over centuries, but was already strongly de- developed within the same generation of those who had witnessed him. Now, uh, let, let's consider our lives too before we jump into it. We're, when in your life is a time when you were humble? Maybe it was a really bad test score or uh, a really great answer to prayer. Maybe it was an incredible view of the mountains or the, uh, the beautiful stars, the birth of a baby, or maybe even the loss of a child. Uh, perhaps it was a terrible storm war, economy, or microorganism, or maybe a a daughter who's a year and two months old who won't sleep through the night and keeps you up and gets up at 3 a.m. in the morning. I don't know. There's a lot of things that humble us, right? But for my wife and I, one time uh, that really humbled us was we were down in El Salvador, uh, uh, and we were uh, at the beach one day with some locals, some local friends of ours, and and they were renting surfboards there uh, for rental at the beach. And uh, 
uh, our, the locals we were with, they're like, ah, we're not going to go, you know, it's, uh, they cautioned us a bit. They're like, Hey, it's really dangerous going out there. Just be careful. You know? And my wife and I were like, come on, it would be fine. You know, like we're pretty fit people. And, uh, you know, we've ran a marathon or so, you know, how hard can it be? You know, we kind of surfed once and we got up on the board so we can do this. Well, little did we know, uh, this is one of the most popular breaches worldwide to come visit and do surfing at. So we're out there with a lot of professional surfers and uh, things are going okay. We're hitting some waves here and there. And then this big monster wave comes, right? And we, we get eyes like kids at a candy shop. We're like, oh, this is gonna be sweet, right? And the professionals, are they're in front of us near the wave. They start swimming out of the way. They're going to the left. We're like, where are they going? <laughs> like, oh, well, they're missing out. So here comes this big wave. Guess what it does? Throws us under the water. We are tumbling. I didn't know which way was up or down. I remember covering my head and just ducking and praying like, God, help me. So I don't hit anything, right? And just totally bust my head. But God was gracious, right? God, God graciously saved us through that and humbled us and, and showed us that, uh, you know, that, that was not a very humble situation. We were very prideful and talk about a lack of humility. But praise God, right? Um, usually these circumstances like that one happen to us when we don't expect it. But as we'll see in Jesus's case, he knew what was coming and he still went through with it. He humbled himself. Now look at the progression of Jesus's mindset here as we start, right? It starts with the highest of highs and ends with the lowest of lows from the brightest heights to the darkest depths. right? This scripture tells us that before Jesus even entered the world, he was in the very form of God. Jesus Christ existed before the beginning of time as the great I am. He wasn't made or a created being. He was in the very form, and which is the Greek word morphe, the very essence, the very nature of God. Now, the Trinity is a very complex uh, uh, mindset to have and understand, uh, but it's important to simply note that the Bible says there's one, only one true living God made up of three distinct persons and roles. God the Father, who appointed Jesus. God the Son, who accomplished the work that's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, who applies it. Jesus is fully God, right? And he did not count. There's that Greek word again, ago, which means to calculate. He didn't calculate equality with God as a thing to be grasped, a thing to be taken advantage of or to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he, in essence, he perfectly and voluntarily gives up his own rights as God. He humbled himself first by giving this up. This doesn't mean he was no longer God, but that he allowed himself to be limited and disadvantaged. Now, as we go darker, deeper and deeper still, even more humbling is that he empties himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Wow. How humiliating for God, the infinite being, right? Uh, to not only limit himself, but also to take on finite human flesh. Jesus became incarnate. This is what Christmas is all really about, right? The God-man was born as a baby. He took on flesh that is tempted in every way, weak, flesh that he created, flesh that bleeds and gets old and wears out. And God doesn't come in the form of a king, but rather even more humiliatingly, he comes in the form of a nobody. And even more so as a form, again, morphe of a servant, the lowest of the low. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. This is true humility. And again, it doesn't stop there. It keeps going down. If, if he did stop there, we wouldn't have the complete understanding of what true humility is. Jesus isn't just the perfect example, but he is our only substitute. Look at this last verse with me. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
If it wasn't clear already, Jesus is humiliatingly human, right? See the repetition there from verse seven, being born in the likeness of men to here being found in human form. Uh, this is, uh, this is very important to understand. Um, so before we go on, why did Jesus have to die? That's, that's the big question we're faced with here. Why did he become obedient to the point of death? Why on a despicable cross of all things too? He's God. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He's completely innocent, completely sinless. He's the only human who is truly humble, perfectly obedient to God the Father that we can never be on our own. Now, please, please don't miss this, right? Please, please understand this. Please don't think, pridefully think, oh, well, so I'm not that perfect. It's, it's no big deal. It's not that bad. Please humbly see here how much more atrocious our sin is before the holy and just God of this universe than we could ever imagine. Paul also wrote, for the wages of sin is death. We have earned and deserve separation in the wrath of God. The consequences of sin are so bad, but the good news of the gospel is so good that Jesus, the God-man, humbly came himself in our own likeness and took the penalty and the wrath of God that our sins rightly deserve in our place. Even as he was up there on the cross dying, he prayed, Father, forgive them. Forgive those same people. Forgive us who have sinned against him, who have hurt him. Forgive them because they don't know. We don't know what we're doing. Apostle Peter wrote, he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree and that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. An attitude of true humility admits like the tax collector once did, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, rather than the Pharisee who said, glad I'm not like that guy. As humbling as the El Salvadorian experience was for us uh, and for me, uh, the most humbling time for me was a couple years prior uh, when God brought me from, to the end of myself and rescued me. Um, I was, uh, it was about seven years ago. I was in a, a single apartment in Royal Oak, and I was so lost and so lonely. Uh, God had already given me all the things I thought I needed in this life. He gave me a relationship. He gave me money, a good job, uh, money, uh, good health, but yet I still felt so, so empty inside. I struggled with a lot of terrible sins, and they kept defeating me over and over again. And I kept trying harder at it to change myself, to try to fix myself, but nothing was working. I kept coming back to that, to that same sin. But then God humbled me. He showed me that I'm, I'm not in charge. He is. That I wasn't trusting him. I was relying on myself, that I was using him instead of loving him. He showed me I can't overcome my sin on my own. But he did. And Jesus didn't just pay the penalty for our sin, right? In him, there is power over sin. So true humility is possible because of the humble life and death of Jesus, not just because he's our perfect example, right? But because he's our all-sufficient sacrifice and substitute for our sins. Some might think this is not humble to say this, to say that Jesus is the only way, right? And that would be true if this wasn't true. If all Jesus did was come and die, then we would still be in our sins. But the good news of the gospel is that there is an empty tomb that holds nobody. Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him up from the grave, and he is alive. And there are plenty of eyewitness accounts that prove this, right? So this is who Jesus is, and this is what he did. So how do you get this true humility then? Let's look back at the text, right? Go back to verses 1 and 2. If there isn't any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, which a lot of translations use, from his love, in his love, any particip participation in the spirit, in his spirit, any affection and sympathy in him. And then even in verse five again, look, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, it comes by faith. 
you know, that's how you get true humility. That's how you get Christ. Uh, you don't have to be good enough, but you just have to receive his free gift of life uh, in exchange for giving him yours. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Have you done that yet? Have you been truly humbled and come to the end of yourself? Are you still holding something back? This is not a 95, 5% in out commitment. This is 100% zero. It's, it's all or nothing. If you don't have 100% assurance that you're going to heaven, that, that you are his, that he is yours and have uh, a place there and you don't know this, uh, don't wait to figure this out. Please humbly come talk to me, come to talk to any, a lot of people here who have this relationship. Life is too short to let this go unconsidered or think about this more. But if you have placed your faith in Christ, be encouraged that his life is yours and you are his, that nothing can ever separate you from his love. D.A. Carson says this really well for those of us who have trusted in Christ and his cross work on our behalf. The promise of deliverance, the assurance that we are accepted by Almighty God is not tied to the intensity of our faith or to the consistency of our faith or to the purity of our faith, but to the object of our faith. When we approach God in prayer, our plea is not that we have been good that day or that we've just come from a Christian meeting, a Christian service full of praise, or that we are trying harder, but that Christ has died for us. That's ultimately all we need. So will we always be humble enough to admit this? Okay, so uh, what is true humility? Who is Jesus? What's his mindset? Now, what does this gift of true humility lead to? Um, in the last section, right, we saw that Jesus' infinite descent into humiliation. Um, after that comes his infinite ascent into exaltation. Paul writes again, therefore. So this is all there. Jesus is the perfect example and substitute because God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Jesus' unjust death has been justified. The father approved of his own son's sacrifice by exalting his son and not just exalting him, but highly exalting him by raising him up from the dead on the third day. Jesus has been given the name that is above all names. Likewise, so all those who have put their trust in him and have been crucified with him and no longer live in him, but walk by faith in him are also given vindication and approval by God the father. This gift of true humility leads us to victory for all to see. One of, one of the clearest summaries shown in this passage here and in the book of Revelation, uh, you can summarize this real well in saying that in the end, what happens? God wins. Everyone will one day acknowledge ultimate authority and honor and being uh, and honor belong to him alone. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is not universalism that says everyone's going to be saved, but rather a universal realization that he is who he says he is. In the end, for those who trust him, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now let's look at the final verse here. And before we get to that, uh, we have to actually go back to the very beginning of this passage, right? Verses one and two, which says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, right? Uh, true humility leads to encouragement in Christ. True humility leads to limitless comfort from his love. True humility leads to active participation, the unity or koinonia in the spirit, the unity which is in the church. This church is an incredible gift to grow in true humility. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and is given to those who put their faith in Jesus to do what Jesus said are greater works than these. 
the participation in the church isn't begrudging service, but joyful unity. It's because of the humble mindset that was in Christ. God is in charge and he gives himself and his record to those who are his. Just like Christ went from humiliation to exaltation, from death to life, from shame to honor, from disapproval to approval, so will all those who are in Christ go from hopelessness to hope. From being lost to being found, from being uh, having anxiety filled to being peace filled, from having fear to be given freedom, from emptiness to fullness, from being guilty to forgiven, from death to life. When we live in him, have his mindset, and are constantly humbled by him daily, then this is how we become truly humble, which ultimately is all for the, what this last verse says, all to the glory of God the Father. His name, authority, and honor are higher than high. All praise be to our great God. Now, lastly, how do we how do, so how do we apply this to our lives? We already shared a few things, but I really want to narrow it down to three points. Um, and it'll come in the form of questions. But first, uh, what pride is there that you need to humbly repent of? For some of us here, that mean might mean for the first time, totally surrendering our lives and agendas to God, turning away from sin and turning towards God. Uh, maybe turning away from that sin you know God does not approve of, and yet you're still holding on to it. And uh, and, and yet you need to just give it over to him and receive Jesus's forgiveness for all past, present, and future sins. For others of us who this is true for, this may mean asking the Holy Spirit to show us where there is bitterness or unforgiveness in our hearts, remembering how much more we've been forgiven by Christ. For me, it means apologizing for the ways I don't ask for help, the ways I first go with the command versus showing grace. Um, it means also asking for help. I have the, my, one of my biggest weaknesses is that I don't ask for help. How simple of a thing, right? To show that I am humbly weak is just by asking for help. Uh, that happens in my marriage with our family when I think I can do it all on my own. It also means for me repenting of the ways I've neglected people in my life that mattered to me, that I haven't called them, I haven't texted them, I haven't uh, considered them and prayed for them. Uh, maybe it means humble repenting of those things we said at the beginning too. Maybe you haven't shared those feelings of bitterness or sorrow in your heart with someone uh, and you need to share that in a, in a gentle and then in the right way. Um, I also think of uh, James 119, right? Uh, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. So maybe that's something we need to humbly repent of is that we've been, uh, we haven't been quick to listen. We've been uh, slow or sorry, we, yeah, we haven't been quick to listen. We've been slow to listen. And we haven't, we've been quicker to speak and quicker to get angry. Uh, so we need to repent of that and, and have that new mindset in Christ. Secondly, how will you humbly spend time with Christ? Um, one of the best ways I can think of this is spiritual disciplines. Uh, that means like you all are, are here today listening to the word of God, reading, studying, hearing from the word of God, right? That's a, that's a spiritual discipline. It also means personal time in the word, in the Bible, studying it, asking questions of it, asking God to open it up to you. Um, spending time with God in prayer then with the word, uh, practicing humble prayers, right? Silence and meditation, fasting. Uh, I think of uh, Psalm 1. It says, blessed is the man who meditates on, the, on his law day and night. Uh, and this is where it's been life-changing for me is memorization. Uh, if, if you don't have any passages from today memorized yet, I greatly encourage you pick one of those. Just cling to that and hold that through this life, through, the, through this week, uh, through the ups and downs of whatever trials you come your way. You don't know how much hope, how much joy that can bring you and how much security and assurance you'll have from that uh, because you are remembering that all, the only thing you bring is, is Christ, is, is his cross, all to the cross, uh, only to the cross I cling, right? 
Uh, but for me, one of my favorites, if you're looking for a passage, is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It's, uh, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now, that's okay. That's how we could be humbly, some examples of some ways you could be humbly spending time with Christ this week. Lastly, uh, how can you be humbly, or who will you humbly serve this week? Who is that in your life that God has put there that you can be either, maybe you can be praying for them. Uh, maybe you can be encouraging them in Christ. Uh, like Chris shared, I'm a part of a, a Bible study at, at work and we did a series a while back about Psalm 23. And, and we were, I was encouraging our, our community memorize Psalm 23. Like this is so good, right? To remember uh, that the Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing, right? And then just a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the ladies uh, who was part of that called me out of the blue, just to encourage me. She's like, you don't know how helpful that was. I just went through some big trials. And every time I was getting my blood drawn and going through just horrible experience, I kept thinking the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have all that I need, right? So yeah, those are so helpful. Let's encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. Call them, text them, let them know that you love them and you're praying for them. Uh, evangelism, right? If, if this is true, right, then it is good to tell people this good news. Holding that back in is not humble. That, that's the opposite of humility. That is complete arrogance. If you know what is true and right and best for people, yet you don't tell them, that, that is not loving at all. So that, that's one way we can serve others this week is by telling them this good is telling them how you're once blind, but now you see that it's grace that teaches your heart to fear now, right? And then getting into a healthy church. Uh, uh, this church has been a real blessing for myself and my wife, and we're so grateful that God has brought us here. Uh, how can you, if you're already serving, if you're already actively involved, how can you be serving more, right? Again, there's no limit to how truly humble we can be. Look how much Christ has died for thee. All right. Uh, and then what about financials, financial things, giving more? There's no limit to how much we can give, right? Of thinking, God, this money is not mine. This is yours. It's only a gift you pour into my hands that I gladly give out. Do we see our finances and the money in this way and money in this way? But whatever it is that God has placed in your heart uh, to do, please don't neglect that tiny, small voice. Uh, it may be uh, take you having to let someone know about it. Maybe that needs to keep you accountable and help you follow through on it. Uh, but do know that God is faithful to help you obey and follow through on whatever it is and that you will grow in true humility in Christ through it. So with that, uh, let's pray.